This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular champ chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization, Spirit North, will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor, I live in Lillehammer, I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you wanna see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, it is day one in a pretty rowdy Falun, Sweden, where the men and women raced a 1.4K classic sprint. And you know how this goes by now. Devin is going to give us his breakdown of the first day of racing in Falun, and he's going to chat a little bit about the new baby in the family, Aurora, who arrived 10 days ago. Congratulations to all of them, and here's today's episode. Hello, hello. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? Great. How'd you sleep last night? Oh, it's uh, you know, not that bad. It's she's. She, this is the calm before the storm. <laughs> right? She's still like in a state of shock. No, no. I just think like you just don't really know how they are. Like you know, it's one of those things. Like with a really like totally newborn baby, you you just never have the real sense of. Like, how's this baby going to be when, like, because when they wake up in the night or anything, they're like, not really up, you right. know what, you know what yeah. I mean? But uh, it, in like, after like six weeks, then it'll be like, then this will be for real. It'll be on. It'll so. be like a sprint in Falun. Yeah, it will be. Um, speaking of which, pretty fun day today, I thought. Well, speaking of which, before we get in there, because I did not include it during our conversation with the statistical skier. So... Just you are a new dad. You have a new daughter named Aurora. Am I right? Yeah, Aurora. That's right. Okay. And how old is she? She, Well, she was born on the 28th of January. So she's definitely not that old. She's 10 days old. Lovely. Okay. Yeah. Well, congrats to all of you. Yeah, no, thank you. It was, uh, everybody's doing good. Mom and baby are doing well. And we're just adjusting to the new, new reality. How is the older sister? Oh, she's so pumped. She's been so good. Asked Isabel's been cool. so, so good with, with her sister. And that's a big change because we thought like four months ago when we were like, oh, you pumped to meet your little sister. And she'd be like, my buddy up the hill, Trigva, he has a little sister, not me. Like, I don't want a sister. That's Trigva that has a sister. So she was like, definitely like not feeling the sibling vibe. Sure. Then just got more and more. And she just started talking about her, her um, the baby coming more and more and more. And then by the time it came out, she's just been such a sweetheart with her. So 
so far so good on all fronts. Okay, excellent. Okay, we're going to segue once again. So maybe in six weeks, there'll be a bleep storm <laughs> in, <laughs> oh, in yeah. your house. Oh, there could be. And it'll be like a crazy frenzied sprint yeah, in Falun. That, okay? Yeah, that, How's that? all these things could happen. Although uh, the sprint, it was exciting in Falun. Crazy. I don't know about crazy, but it was definitely a lot of excitement. I thought the fans were great. What a great venue, you know. The 2015 World Championship venue of Falun is just such a fantastic place to host races. They generally do a good job. They had a really, they're struggling with snow this winter as well as a lot of places in Northern Europe are. And they put on a great show, it was a great sprint and lots of action. So lots to unpack, but it was uh, a really fun day out on the, out in the woods of Sweden today. Yeah, they do a great job of essentially making it so everybody wants to return there. I mean, it's loud crowds, everybody lining the course. Uh, the Swedes doing great. So anyway, yeah, it was a cool show. You want to start with the men or women? Uh, you know, let's start with the women because again, they. I really, I've been really excited with the women's women's sprints this year. I think it's been really exciting. I think the, I mean, the the story of the season. Even though we've been talking about the women's sprint team of Sweden, but Lynn Svan, yeah, from fourth place at World Juniors last year, three victories. Jason, mm -hmm. she's twenty. Yeah. She's twenty years old. She has three victories. There's only in the last little bit here, <laughs> last little bit is in going way back. Elena Velbe had five World Cup victories before she was 21 or like till. Yeah. And um, Lynn Svahn has three already, four if you're going to count a team sprint, but three individual victories. And I think Charlotte Takala had four World Cup victories. I, uh, I'm not totally sure. So we might have to edit that one out, but before she was 21 as well. So uh lynn svon is definitely putting on a show and today what a fantastic race she raced tactically to perfection technically so strong so stable able to really jam up the hills but then also so amazingly stable and strong in the double pole well-deserved victory for the 20 year old from sweden and to do it in your home country uh and for your third victory she, she looked so pumped yeah, like even though it's her third victory like she was definitely psyched to be able to win at home. It is something special to win at home. Not that I've ever done that, but I could imagine it would be amazing. And um, and then what a what a crazy semifinal with with uh, Sophie and Astrid yeah. literally tying for to move through. They could not dis decipher differentiate who won that, and both go through. So you have this seven woman final, which made for <laughs> it was a little messy early on. Sure. I must say, with seven in the final. But then, but then, you know what, Jakobsen and Sophie, I'm sorry to say, they were just, they were outclassed. The four, the top four women in this final were just far and away better and, and all were skiing so well. I mean, when Lampich is skiing well like that and finishes fourth, then you know that you had a really quality final today. Yeah. So a couple of things, I mean, it was tight, you know, I'm looking here, it was a separation of the top four, you know, Svan won, Neprieva, who is in form for sure in these classic sprints, uh, was second 0 0.08 seconds back Sundling third point one zero point tenths of a second back in Lampic, uh, 0.93 seconds back. So, so tight down the finish, you know, I'm kind of, I, I'm curious. So it wasn't exactly a blowout, but it was a cool course, you know, and it, it remind, you know, again, I think I've mentioned this as sometimes I get a little, uh, turned off about, okay, I have to psych myself up to watch a sprint. The past two weekends of sprint racing, at least for me, have been super exciting. It's 
Oberstorf was, you know, by all estimations, a, a tough course. This looked like a, a tough course too. One, there were, the, you know, sort of softer conditions it looked like, but I'll let you comment on that. But people were really running quite a bit uh, up the hills and it was kind of an endurance fest, uh, you know, for my uh, perception. So can you speak a little bit about the course and uh, how that kind of played out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we want to talk about the courses, I think what makes it exciting is when you have Oberstorf was the test uh, world championship. So like the pre-world championship World Cup. So that was the that was a world championship course. That's next year's world championship classic sprint will be will be contested on that course we saw last week or two weeks ago now. Um, but the, the course in Falun that we're watching today, that, that is the course that they raced in 2015 at the world championship. So it is also a championship course and I'm with you. I mean, I think these championship courses have, have everything, especially the more modern championship courses like the Falun and now Oberstorf is very modern. This was the first year they raced it. Um, that you have these steep hills, you have good turns, you have that usually like a nice sweeping descent into the finishing straight Falun is so great because you have that little bridge that you have to kind of run up go across and then carry some speed in and then it's a gradual uphill to the finish line so it was um it has it has everything and and just to see how good these women are it is softer conditions it's clister for sure but I mean it was not totally straightforward waxing conditions yet the best skiers in the world, the Neprievas, the Sundling Svan today would look so good on the climbs. Yeah. We're just able to run, but be able to nail their kick. And when you're strong enough and good enough technically, you can make those skis work. And I think a lot of people get fooled. And they think like, oh, they have roller skis. Like they're just, their skis are so good that they have roller skis. But yes, they do have good skis. The Swedes had amazing skis today. They really did. But they're also technically so, so good. If you wanted to slow it, mow it and slow it down and see where people are setting their kick and where their weight is, when that grip wax, the clister that's under their foot, when they're applying pressure, a skier like Svan has her weight directly under her and not to pick on her because she had a great day and I'm really thrilled for her. I know I called her out a couple weeks ago, but she deserved to be called out at that time, sorry. But Maya McIsaac-Jones making the heat solidly in 23rd that's yeah. a huge step forward. She's not on the national team. This has been a tough season for her. She's been wanting to break through. I mentioned some weeks ago that she's had a lot of chances on the World Cup now and she just can't seem to make it into the heats. So it was really fun to see her get into the heats. But, and there's that ugly butt that's <laughs> hiding behind every sentence. But in her heat, you can really see, I don't think she had the best skis in the field today. That That is obvious. But also technically, from a technique standpoint, her weight wasn't directly under her kick zone and she was really struggling. She couldn't run up those steep hills like like the Swans or the Neprevas or the Sundlings of the world where or every time they're setting their foot down, their weight's right under them so they know they're going to get purchased with their skis. And if you don't have that sort of ty- technique and timing and your weight's a little far back, you're going to slip. And if you slip once, twice, now all of a sudden you're totally out of rhythm and you can lose so much time. And sadly, that's what happened with Maya's heat. But chalk it up to a lot of good experience. I tip my hat to Maya. Really great to see her in the heats. Really great to see a Canadian suit in the top 30. So that's exciting. This was her last World Cup shot before having to travel back to Canada as well. And she hadn't had success in the sprints that she's had uh, earlier this year. And it's been a while since she's had a good sprint. And when I say good sprint, I mean making the heats because you got to walk before you can run. And while it might not sound that exciting when you have the likes of Alex Harvey, who was second 
in that sprint course in 2015 at the World Championships. We all ex- like remember that exciting finish. Maybe that's what we're used to in North American ski fans with a Canadian suit, but they're really trying to bring bring it back, you know. Sure. Yeah, and there were other, there were some other notable individuals here as well and it struck me as i think when i started watching i'm not sure i had looked at who had qualified and there was the yellow bib of Therese yohog qualifying in 18th and uh moving into the semifinals today oh she looks so good yeah and uh you know what is amazing with her i don't know if you noticed in her quarterfinal but her double pulling man because Jesse Diggins had such a phenomenal downhill. She was she was she was too far back. And then she had such an amazing descent. Diggins was almost right back in this. Yeah. Yet, yeah. Yet Teresa Yohug put together maybe her best last 150 meters of any race she's ever done in classic. And her technique was absolutely perfect in double polling. And that side shot, I was, my, my mouth was agape. I, she was skiing so beautifully into the stretch. And then that was good enough to be a lucky loser time to move her through into the semifinal. So that was, that was pretty exciting as well. I mean, it on these championship courses, like we talked about back in, in the Val de Fiemme sprint, when it's a classic sprint and championship course, like Teresa Johag, she's the best year in the world. And uh, while she got absolutely the floor wipe with her in the semifinal, <laughs> I, I well, it, is, it is impressive. It is impressive that she made it through a quarterfinal when but she, only five seconds back in that semi. I mean, no, it's not, no, I but mean, it, no, but when you watched it, when you watched it, it was like it was a puppy playing with the big dogs. <laughs> sure, but well, uh, well, but but honestly, yeah. for her to move through the semifinal, uh, Teresa is just keeps surprising. You know what I think is even more impressive is that she wants to start. She wants to get better. And I think what a sign of a true champion, you know, because she could just be like, you know what? I'm the best distance skier in the world by far. I'm just going to save my energy. But she likes a challenge. She wants to improve. She believes that she can get better in sprint. And this year she actually has gotten better in sprints. And to do that at her age and with the experience and the Paul Mares behind her, ah, it's really, really cool to see. What what would be her calculus in doing this? event. I, I, th- I think that's what surprised me. It's like we have a long tour coming up starting next weekend and a couple more events in, in Europe. And then they jump across the pond to, you know, Canada, Minneapolis and Canmore. And she's got to go obviously and do those events and collect some hardware. So yeah. What, what would be the reason to jump in this sprint? I think you have two sprints. Not, I think I know you have, you have two sprints in the, in this uh, tour in the ski tour in Sweden and Norway. So I think it's just to, <clears throat> to go through that routine, go through that rhythm, do the qualification, the nerves. Then after you're done with the qualification, try and come down and get yourself psyched up for the quarterfinals. Like Teresa Johug does not have much experience whatsoever. While she is a very experienced athlete, she is not experienced with the, the toll that a sprint day takes. So I think, I think that plays into her decisions as well to do these sprints. But also I think she just thinks it's fun. I mean, I've talked to Therese about it. She just thinks it's fun. Yeah, it's like it's a fun challenge. She wants to get better, and now she's seeing she's seeing that improvement, and that is always motivating for any athlete, even if you're the best skier in the world. You know, she's not the best sprinter in the world, and she's made some big gains this year. So it's, uh, I think that's what the, when you put those two things together, that's the calculus she's making. We'll make this tight today, but any any other sort of standout items here beyond? Like for me, I think okay, well. If I were racing against Jesse Diggins tomorrow, 
I'd be a little nervous because there seems to be a pattern when she's maybe unsatisfied that she comes back and nails a podium the following day. Oh, not just that, but let's just talk about Jesse Diggins like absolute gift basket. That is tomorrow's race. I mean, they have very low snow. It's a 2.5 K course they say, but it's really like 2.3, 2.4. Cause I've raced in Fowling so many goddamn times. So I know that place like the back of my hand, there's no murder buck and they're not going up to the top of the course. This is, right. this is, uh, this is a chance for Jesse to really kick some ass. I mean, it's a, uh, it's an absolute phenomenal course for, I think um, disappointed or not from today, Jesse's in good shape. We know that she's had so many great races now after the Tour de Ski. I feel like she was really disappointed after the Tour de Ski with some of those races that got away from her. Some were not her fault with equipment issues. And uh, tomorrow, 10K skate, easy course. You got to like Jesse. Solomon skis too. Solomon skis run really well when um, when it's dirty snow like that. That it is there. Like they have a really they have they have a couple bases that are really really good in that that uh dirty type snow so i for sure jesse's gonna be interesting to watch it'll be fun too for me to see can 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 yohag do anything i mean that's hard to say and we haven't mentioned this but frida carlson's back and it's yeah so she got clearance to start yeah no she she got clearance from the it's been quite the zoo here in scandinavia with that news but um she she cleared the health standards that the swedish national team sets out for their athletes so she is back on the start line for the first time since ruka great um in her interviews that she's been making and and the things she's saying she's saying all the right things i mean the pressure with someone like that when you win three medals at senior worlds as a junior um there's a lot of expectation and she brought a lot of that expectation into ruka like she was talking before ruka that she was going to compete with teresa and that was her goal for the season and win and and then it all came crashing down when when um her, her health wasn't good enough to even start she didn't make the minimum standards as far as body composition issues and whatever bone density for the swedish uh, ski team so she's been out for a number of months so it's really fun to see her back in the field and she's just like I, it's a it's a victory for me to be standing here. I'm really looking forward to ski the race. I'm, I'm really hungry. So that'll be really fun. It's too bad that Stina Nelson, I've been getting some emails about Stina. Everyone's like, where's Stina? Where's Stina? Well, she's had, uh, she's dealing with some broken ribs and she's trying mm-hmm. to recover from that. And that's what's kept her out of competition for a lot of it. Now they're saying she might not even come back this year. So she may, they're not closing the door completely. Um, but she, she has definitely been dealing with a rib injury uh, and that rib injury is taking a little longer than they expected to see her back in action. So tomorrow's going to be fun, short, fast, and furious. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of distance between the women unless it gets crazy warm and super soft right. and nasty. Uh, the course is dead easy, uh, especially for World Cup standards. So it'll be interesting. Will Teresa be able to win? Or will someone like Jesse or an Ingveld, who is a very powerful skier, especially on a little lighter course with a lot of corners. Can they, can they make up that distance with Teresa and, and compete for a gold? It'll be fun. And Frida, who knows is Frida Carlson, how, how much did it affect, how much did it affect Frida to be out of competition for so long, uh, working on her, on her, uh, on some serious, uh, really serious health, health concerns. I mean, it's, it's right. not just like, oh, I'll just sit on the couch and eat donuts. Like that's not how it works. I mean, um, she had to take a concerted effort to get herself back um, on the right side of the border that uh, that the Swedish national team has set for for health standards, and it's fun to see her back in competition. So 
Ingvald, her first race back was pretty darn good. Her second race back was even better. <laughs> so, so, so uh, here we go. her third race back, she won. So, I mean, um, it'll be interesting to see tomorrow for the women. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun 10 K, but for sure, Jesse Dickens don't count her out and good on Sophie for making the final again. She ran oh, out of gas. Sure. She ran out of yeah. gas today, but I feel like we can't just like anytime a North American makes a sprint final, you have to take pause and, and, and clap because that is the world's elite. And look at the stats. Sophie Caldwell almost is like is almost always in sprint finals. And that right. is something we should never get used to because that is amazing right. performances. Those are amazing performances. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I, I spoke to her a little bit this afternoon or yeah, I guess it would be this morning here. Uh, yeah. And I kind of preface my conversation with her. It's like, yeah, you're, she's obviously very soft, you know, just the soft spoken mellow. She's the nicest, nicey nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just sort of, I was like, you forget, like you are just a lock right now for the final. Yeah. But that's insane by the uh, way. Like that is awesome. That is so, so awesome. So, uh, even though she ran out of gas today in the final, it's a tough spring course and the conditions weren't exactly a gimme, but, uh, really great racing by Sophie and to lead the American team. She's easy to root for. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of Norway's like biggest prize fighter, He's probably, I don't watch like ultimate fighting or whatever, you know, the octagon type thing. So it doesn't seem like Claybo is going to go into the octagon anytime soon. Uh, no. He had a little bit of a, yeah, no, he's got a couple broken fingers. No, he's not, he's not ready to rumble. And if you didn't think, if you had any concerns about that, or if you were curious as maybe Claybo could, the guy wears Uggs onto the podium. Do you with that? Uh, okay. He wears, no. he, he wears men's, he wears men's Ugg boots. Uh, on the podium. So that should tell you all you need to know about how tough, uh, in, in the octagon he would be. I don't think, uh, I don't, th- I don't think those, uh, MMA fighters are, uh, UG people on the men's side of things. Maybe they are, I could be wrong, but, uh, I, from my understanding, he broke his fingers with, you know, how it's some sort of game where it measures how hard you punch. You have a boxing glove and allegedly, it, yeah, exactly. It like slipped off and miss the padded area or hit some sort of hard surface next to the padded area. Well, and then also too, yeah, that's fairly accurate. And then also too, I mean like, but here's what's the most accurate. Cross country skiers are good at cross country skiing, but maybe not the best uh, at fisticuffs. Maybe like, maybe, maybe some of the guys like Petrukov, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go up against Petrukov. Uh, okay. Who was, who was bib 15 for Russia today? Uh, oh man, I got to go back and see, but I'm uh, looking here. The dude, cause uh, Oh, Krasnov. Oh, yeah. Krasnov's a beast. He looked like he could cage fight. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't think Krasnov's breaking his hand with the arcade game of uh, measuring how strong you are to punch. Yeah. Sorry to digress. Yeah. No, no. But that's a, that's a good digression. No. So Claybo, Claybo, you know, he's a young guy and he you're allowed to go out and have fun with your buddies. And you know what? It's just bad luck. I mean, come on. Right. Uh, but it kept him out of competition this week, but it doesn't look so bad. I mean, he's hoping to start the, the ski tour. I think he will. I think he will start the ski tour in a week here. Uh, so, but it meant that he could see how to stand over today. And you saw Bolshinov, the guy was motivated to take points. Yeah. And in the final, let's just jump right into it. Like he went like absolutely bananas. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gun to tape annihilate, like went bananas (laughs) off the start. And at the top of the course, you're like, this thing is over. Like people were hurting badly. You saw Pellegrino, a great fast, explosive athlete like already you could tell he was in the hurt locker like it, it was not easy and yet Bolshinov's only weakness was he 
didn't have as fast as skis as Goldberg. We have to mention that. Like Paul's skis today were just lights yeah. out. They were lights out. So he won a bit on his skis, but then he also won. Volness and Paul are just so much better than Bolshinov in the double pole. The last 150 meters, they're way more solid, and that's why they're the best sprinters in the world. And Bolshinov is an amazing sprinter and the best overall athlete in the world and no question the best distance skier in the world this season. But in the sprint, if you're going to leave it to the last 150 meters like that against the big Valness or Paul Goldberg, who has just amazing classic technique and is in humongous form. He won the 30K at Norwegian Nationals last weekend. Um, you've left yourself in a bad position. And when Paul's skis were as good as they were today, and he's as good as he is in the double polling, uh, that's lights out. So great win by Paul, his first win on the World Cup since 2016. So it's been a phenomenal season for Paul, who's had a a really hard season last year was a really hard season for him and he's come back with a real vengeance this year so it's been fun to watch so here's a question about Bolshinov um you know he from my you know having watched him he he tends to be and and flashing back he did win the classic sprint in Ruka in 2018 when Klebo kind of pulled up right at the end right Oh yeah. Yeah. So he can like classic sprint. Oh no, he's a good, but not yeah. just classic sprint. Like he is a, he is an all rounder. No question. But he often but, has, has, it seems to me, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there and get your comments. It seems to me he always, or seems to have the tactic where it's like, he goes out and pushes and pushes and pushes and sort of tempts himself to fade a little bit just to see if he can break everybody. Um, and that's what I was thinking today in that final. He obviously was just like. Oh, hyper motivated. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. You know, at a 10 out of 10 right out of the gates, he double pulled up that first hill. Hyper motivated. But I was sort of waiting. It's like, OK, they're going to catch him. This is going to be another subtle sort of fade back for Bolshinov. I mean, would it benefit a guy like that to sort of test the waters a little bit and say, OK, I'm going to temper my tactics or, or temper my pace in particular on a course like this um, and just see how it unfolds. I mean, he's already guaranteed a sixth place in the final. No, no, for sure. But there's a huge difference between six, like the points for sixth place and a win. I mean, a hundred points is a lot. Yeah. And you look at the fall from third to first, I mean, to win, you get a hundred points to third, you only get 60. So, I mean, he's already lost 40 points by coming third. So dropping all the way back down to six, like that's leaving a lot of points on the table and the reality is, if you look at the names that are around him in the final, these guys mm -hmm. are smart. I mean, Bolshinov is smart. And while he can win, and he has won a classic sprint, like you said, and he was amazing in the Tour de Ski in the classic sprint as well, he knows how good Paul is. He knows how good Volness is in pure sprints. He knows, he knows what their strengths are, and he knows what his strengths are. And... That tactic on a tough course like this that worked so well for him in a semifinal to just be like, you know what? If you want to win, you're going to have to take it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I mean, it landed him on the podium. And had had Paul's skis not been just so insanely good. Sure. You know, it could have just been Valdis ahead of him. You know, it could have been. So, and, and look, he in by doing the tactic he made today, he took Pellegrino out of it. He didn't have to outsprint Pellegrino no. in the last 150 meters because he had broken him before then. Yeah. So, I mean, you can look at it both ways. I, I see what you're saying, but I'm not so sure. If you play, tried to play it tactical and easy, in the last 150 meters, Eric Valdness and Paul Goldberg yeah. are just better. They're just better than him in a sprint. Not after a 50K, not after a 30K, but after a 1.5K sprint, they're just better. And I think he knows that too. And 
the tactic that he did in the final, I think that was his best chance to win. I, I was a bit surprised he went so aggressive in his semifinal. Yeah. Yep. That's a calculus he probably should have made because if he would have played it a little t- more tactical in the semifinal and just cooled his jets a little bit, especially that first 45 seconds, first, first minute, and then turned on the jets, then maybe that could have been enough for him to be in that fight, like completely side by side with Volnus and Goldberg. Then you never know, at least for a second place. Um, but the, 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 the semifinal, to me, that was a little bit of a tactical misstep because he didn't need to go so deep. But in the final, that's his chance to win. And I think he knows that. And he just wasn't, he didn't have the fastest skis today. And his skis were amazing, but they weren't as fast as Paul's. And uh, he's just not as strong as the two big Norwegians. And, and I'm going to try and promise not to, and I know we've talked about this and, and, you know, I, I, I do understand that Pellegrino is an Olympic medalist in uh, a classic sprint, but I tend to compartmentalize him as a sprinter. But as soon as I started watching him today, you know, he, he just looked awesome out there. You know, there was a lot of running, so it wasn't like pure, you know, stride and glide, but he just looked so great in particular in that, first semifinal that you're referring to. It was fun to watch him go head to head with Bolshinov. Oh, he's so snappy, so powerful. And again, like he hits his ankles so well, he has his weight right under him. That's the only way you can run up those hills. Like he runs up them. Yeah, it's cool. If you're not strong enough, stable enough and getting your weight right under you, you're, you're going to be like a fish out of water. Uh, you're just going to get wider and wider and then you're herringboning. And then next thing you know, it's like 1982 and you're odd or something. Like that's what it's going to look like. So Pellegrino is strong enough and has prowess in the steep terrain to run and keep his weight under him is at the elite level. And he looked great today. You know, he did, but Bolshinov's pace was too, was, was a bridge too far in the final and he, he couldn't make it rain and, uh, you know, good on Bolshinov for, for taking a, a true champion like Pellegrino out of, out of that final early with a very aggressive move. Okay. So tomorrow's race is a shortened race. I think it was originally slated as the 13 or 30, K uh, mass start for the guys, and then it's been reduced without looking at it, I think, to 15K. That's true. So it was actually supposed to be individual start races that were longer, 10 and uh, sorry, 15 and 30K. And now instead, it's a 10K for women mass start. That's what mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier in, in our chat that uh, Ingveld or Jesse uh, looks really good for them tomorrow. Um, and then in the men's side of things, instead of a 30K individual start on a pretty pretty severe course i mean the world championship course in falun is tough uh instead of a 30k individual up murder bucking a bunch of times now now they're going like a comfort cruise on a dead flat course uh 2.3 2.4k loops so it's uh, it's going to be under 15k and in the past when they haven't gone all the way to the top of murder bucking they've done some 15k skates before and it's always 30 people to the line uh, it's always just a big sprint. So the men's race is just going to be a mess. And you're going to see a lot of guys coming down the stretch for the win. I would imagine the pack would be 25 to 30 contesting in the, I would say, I would say there'll be at least 25 guys in the top 15 seconds tomorrow at the end. So that is not normal for the World Cup, but on a course like this and so short, I mean, the men, it's, there's just not much that separates the best in the world. So it's a great opportunity for some of those guys that are just not quite elite. Um, you know, the guys, let's say from 15th to to 30th on the world cup week in, week out, it's a great chance for them to sneak into the top 10 because, uh, there will be 
definitely some surprises. It's your positioning is going to be everything in skis. It's dirty. It's a little soft. There's not a whole lot of snow around. So if you're wax techs, nail your skis, or you do a great ski selection, have the right grind. There's a lot. There's a lot of things that can go right for you tomorrow on the men's side of things. So it'll be exciting, but in a totally different way. I mean, I I thought it would have been really fun to see a 30k up Murderbachin and individual start, but I'm old school. I'm old school. So instead, we're going to see a little bit of roller derby, some broken poles, some falls, and uh, 25 to 30 guys sprinting in for the win. Okay. In closing, a shout out to Andrew Young from Great Britain. And I thought about that when I kind of wrote Great Britain this morning. They, Oh yeah. They're still qualified in a classic sprint. That's what's up. Yep. That was awesome. And he looked good too. I thought he looked good. I mean, I, I, he's, he's stable and strong as well. And, and, uh, oh yeah, man, you, uh, Great Britain in general has a lot of exciting, not a lot, sorry. It's a very small team, but the athletes they do have are exciting. Yeah. And you know, it's it was a it was a great day for for Andrew Young today, and I think, you know, earlier this season he had such a great distance race in Davos, 15k skate, and I mean he's been on the podium in skate sprints before, so you know he's you know he's at that level. But today in a classic sprint on a on a on a, a righteous course, that was a, that was a great step. So that was a great race by Andrew Young. Totally agree. Okay, well it is almost nine o'clock in Norway. Yeah. And I know babies don't really have clocks yet. <laughs> no, they sure don't. But uh, you know what? We're we're surviving, and and uh, we're still playing man to man, which is good. I, I wouldn't want to go to zone defense. I, I think I think all the parents out there with three, four, I, I think three kids might be the more challenging. Oh, because you still think you can control it. You know what For I mean? For sure. But you can't. And you're like, no, no, we can do this. We can do this, and and then in then with like four kids i think you just go like fuck it like you know what i mean like it just this isn't gonna happen it's just gonna be chaos anyway and then you sink your shoulders a bit and you just let her you just let it happen so but with two kids but there's probably like a beauty to having four i mean like i'm not having more kids right but there's kind of a probably a beauty of having four kids and that you just sort of like let go you don't stress maybe yeah that's what i mean that's exactly what i mean with three, you, you're going to try. You're like, we can do this. Like, we did it with two. We can do this with three the same way. And then you just refuse to adjust to zone defense. You just yeah. keep playing man-to-man, but you're outnumbered. It's always a power play. I'm Canadian, so of course we're going to use, like, hockey uh, references. But, you know, with four, I totally agree with you. I think you just let it go, and you're like, whatever, man. They're going to be fine. Look, we've raised three kids. They didn't have any major mishaps or anything. Like, we got this. They'll, It's fine. You know? But uh, with two... I'm hoping it's okay, but we'll see. It, we're, this is early. Dude, you got it. 10 days in, you sound like a pro. Yeah, my wife. It's all, I t- it's all, it's all about... Uh, I'm sure. It always it's is. It absolutely has nothing to do with me. You know that. Everyone knows that. So that's uh, that goes without saying. Okay, well, have a good night, and uh, we'll check in tomorrow. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll chat tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be fun. Brings me some fast and furious distance races. Thanks, Jason. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Devin Kershaw Show, and we should have a new episode of Nordic Nation out Monday featuring the dynamic duo of Brian Gregg and Matt Leipsch as the entire Midwest and some parts of the U.S. ramp up for a few weeks of intense Berkey fever.